Amon Bartram is the chief data officer and co-founder of TripleByte. Previously, Amon was lead video developer at Justin.tv and also co-founded SocialCam. Amon, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Let's talk about the company you recently co-founded, TripleByte. What does TripleByte do? TripleByte is a uh, recruiting company for Y Combinator companies. Uh, so basically, uh, candidates apply to us, and we, we do full interviews. We figure out which ones are good, and then we fast-track those people uh, through to the, the final on-site interview at, uh, uh, at a bunch of different Y Combinator companies. So there's some different pages that I'll link to in the show notes that talk about the problems with programming job interviews. But I'll just ask you, why are programming job interviews broken? Humans are the most complicated thing out there. <laughs> humans, judging human skill is extremely hard. There's all kinds of ways that people can be, can be good. And uh, it's a really hard problem. And companies only have a limited amount of, of attention. And they reasonably spend most of their, their attention and energy focusing on and improving their, their actual product, the thing that they're, that they're you know, producing for the world, and have much less time to focus on how you go about designing the, the best possible process and making sure the process they have is, is doing what they think it's doing. So if the whiteboard coding and algorithm question solving model isn't a good predictor of how effective someone is at writing real code why is this style of interview perpetuated? I don't actually think it's as bad as people sometimes say. So being, being very good at, at solving algorithm problems on a whiteboard is, I think, a good indicator that companies company should hire you. The larger issue is that there are a lot of other ways to be good as well. So there are many people who are you know, also good at solving you know, much more practical problems. So for example, you might have a, a front-end JavaScript developer who is extremely good at, at writing even very complicated abstract JavaScript front-ends, but doesn't know what, what quicksort is. And if they go to a, an interview and you know, the, the interviewer asks some question that's sort of a, a coded version of you know, write quicksort on the, on the whiteboard, um, that candidate will in many cases fail and, and, and not get a job offer. Even if the company really would love to hire an extremely great front-end JavaScript developer. And so it's not so much that whiteboarding is wrong, it's that there are, there, there are many other ways to be good, and those people do poorly on, on, on whiteboarding interviews. Is it possible that the whiteboard style of interviewing where you memorize quicksort, for example, you memorize all the pal how to write the palindromes or particular string or how to recurse through a binary tree, have these been historically useful for big companies because of the way that these big companies are structured where they need a large number of very servile employees who will operate in kind of a boring and well-structured way? Or is that, is that, is that a little too dystopian? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would give them a little bit more credit or, or less credit actually depending on how you – I think as an interviewer, it's really useful to get strong signal. It's really frustrating when you do an interview and you, you, and you, you end the interview saying, I, have, I feel like I don't have any information. And so interviewers tend to optimize for an approach where they end the interview with a clear you know, impression. This person did poorly or this person did very well. And well-defined algorithm questions on a whiteboard, um, 
they, a useful trait of them is that they have zero dependencies. So for example, um, there's, there's a movement, which I very much support, but toward trying to make interview questions more similar to the work that people actually do. But there is a downside to that, which is often not discussed, which is that real work involves dealing with very complicated systems and you know, installing other people's code, installing libraries, dealing with build issues, um, all of these things. And in sort of a, a, an isolated period of time, if you give someone a task that, that looks too much like a real-world problem, there is a danger that they get that they spend a high percentage of their time on something that provides very little signal to you as the interviewer. So, for example, if I, if I ask someone to build a, I don't know, an, an API to serve information on, on, on product listings, for example, um, that's a much more real-world problem. Many people do that for their job. The problem is that if I have someone, you know, spec that out in, in a half-hour interview question, there's a high probability they might get stuck on a build issue trying to install some, some, some you know, back-end framework. And that ends up providing very little information because good programmers and bad programmers alike can, can waste lots of time on, on build issues. And so it's much easier to ask a cleanly isolated problem that, that, that you know, everyone should be able to understand and, and just go with that. And I think, I think organizations have, for that reason, and because they don't, there are very few companies that evaluate how the interview results actually predict job performance. And so I, I, I think companies pick the clean interview questions that, that, that interviewers can ask and feel like they're getting a strong signal. So, Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of actually evaluating things uh, at a macro level, you recently wrote a blog post called who Y Combinator companies want, and you have some very interesting data. Tell me about the data set that you studied and the insights that you learned. Sure. Um, that, that, you know, it's a very good question. The, the number one thing we're trying to do here, like we, we didn't come in natural by, to this process with any incredible insight. The number one thing that we're trying to do is to very carefully track how we evaluate candidates track how they actually do, and then over time, improve our process by looking at what actually works. And this is something that only a few of the largest companies do. And we're, we're trying to do that ourselves and make that available to all the companies that we work with. Um, and the, uh, the, 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 the blog post you mentioned, the blog post we recently published, um, is looking at uh, the, who the candidates that we send to companies end up making offers to. So over the course of the last six months, we have done um, about a thousand interviews um, and, and sent many, many people uh, off to work in companies. And so this is analyzing those candidates and the, the qualities that we saw in them and then um, and other attributes, for example, what, what, what languages they used, um, what, what, what areas of programming they were, they were, they were best at, and then what companies um, – who companies ended up making offers to. So let's talk about it more directly. Who do Y Combinator companies actually want? And maybe who don't they want? <laughs> who don't they want? Uh, the, the simplest answer is that there is a huge amount of disagreement. And so go, going into this business, I imagined sort of a linear scale of programming talent or something close to that. I thought that there would be maybe 5, 10, 15% of programmers who were the, the best programmers and all of the companies, definitely all work on their companies and probably all companies would want to hire these people. 
and would be in competition for that same 15% of programmers. Um, and there'd be some, some, some variation on where exactly that, that, that cutoff fell. Um, what we found is that it does not look at all like that. Every company has their own set of ideas, their, their, their own technical culture. And so an example of this we, we, we often see is around academics. So some, some companies believe that academic computer science is a very important skill and that anyone who you know, doesn't understand academic language and can't talk you know, well about asymptotic runtime complexity analysis is not a serious programmer and shouldn't be hired. <laughs> Other companies feel the exact opposite and feel that if you use the term you know, asymptotic runtime complexity analysis, that's a sign that you're not practical enough. And so they, they want people who sort of turn their back on impractical academics and, and just work really quickly and, and you know, get stuff done. And we see that repeated, not just on academics, across the whole range of different ways you can evaluate programmers. Um, so, uh, for example, there are some companies that love hiring people for, who, who have experience at big enterprise Java companies because they think that, you know, that's a, that's a place with a lot of focus on, on you know, programming, the art of programming, on, on good process, on good architecture. There are other companies who feel that that culture is toxic and negative and are much less likely to interview someone who's coming from that background. So... You know, the you have this this uh, different type system for ty- types of programmers that were sought after, and the thing that that came out was that the most desirable uh, among, uh, I guess, the the most Y Combinator companies was product experience, and this this categorization of the the product programmer. Why why is there at least some I don't want to call it unanimity, but um, maybe majority uh, of preference for product experience over theoretical knowledge. I don't know, but I can, I can speculate. And it, it actually makes sense if you think about it. Um, most, most companies are not solving incredibly hard technical problems. Most companies succeed or fail based on whether their product is useful to their users, not based on whether they have, you know, the best machine learning algorithm or the most efficient code. And so I think it reflects that the people running the company care more about finding programmers who understand the, the, the product that the company is trying to build and will get excited about maybe working on things that are technically boring if they contribute a lot to the, to, to, you know, to, 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 accomplishing the goal that the company is, is, is trying to, uh, to accomplish. So what, what's interesting about that is it, it makes sense if you think about it, but what's, what's interesting is that very few programmers use it to their advantage when they're applying for jobs. And so when we, every, every candidate that we, that we interview, we ask about, about their motivations and what kind of job they want. <laughs> and probably a good four-fifths of the people we speak to answer that talking only about technical things. They say, I, you know, I am extremely interested in, you know, JavaScript front ends and want to learn more about React. Or they say, I'm, I'm extremely interested in hard algorithms and I would, I would love to work on you know, optimizing algorithms to, to, to process data on an enormous scale. Um, or they tell us, I would love to work on machine learning. Um, only very rarely do we encounter someone who says, you know, I would love to work on testing a product and talking to users and, and you know, building something that people actually want to use. Hmm. So, I mean, you've, you've done some companies 
or at least one company before uh, before Triple Byte was was what you found in the in the um, the data from this blog post. Who, why, common air companies won? Was it consistent with your own experience? Yes. Well, the number one thing we found was just lack of agreement. And that's 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 definitely I, I, that's definitely consistent. Was so. within your within your previous company was there lack of agreement about how, how you should do hiring? I don't think companies are quite. I, I think companies trick themselves into thinking their process is more consistent and more meaningful than it actually is. Mm. Um, I, the standard process at most, especially your earlier stage companies, is to have a candidate come in. Do a you know a, a series of forty five minute to one hour interviews with I don't know three to five engineers, and then after the candidates leaves, those those three to five people get in a room and just hash it out and say oh, I like the person or I didn't like the person, and anyone who the majority of people like and someone likes a lot ends up getting hired. Um, the problem with that is it doesn't properly account for it's it's not consistent. Who the engineers are and what they choose to ask has a major impact on whether the candidate passes. And so, for example, if if an, if, if an engineer in that interview asks about, I don't know, asks about sorting algorithms, and, and this candidate knows very little about sorting algorithms, um, that engineer will often end up giving a blocking no in the final hiring meeting even if the candidate was very strong in, in, in other areas. Mm. And I think definitely my companies in the past, uh, SocialChem and uh, Justin V before that, we were not really aware of that. Our focus was not hiring. Our focus was, was you know, video systems. And we were very content to just bring people in, do the interviews, and you know, do, do a thumbs up, thumbs down at the end of the day. And we, we didn't have the free brain cycles to think about how how fair that was and how it aligned with what our company actually needed. So some of these companies that have giant scale, so like let's say Google, for example, there have been several books about Google's perspective on the hiring process, and they've clearly spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I know we talked a little bit about um, big companies at the beginning of this conversation, but um, are are big companies falling victim to the same sort of thing where they're uh, a little more they're making more mistakes or they're they're tricking themselves into thinking that their hiring process is better or more consistent than uh, than it actually is? Well, Google is the outlier. So Google has you know Laszlo Bach, the the head of HR at Google, has written a lot about about their process and Google, Google deserves credit for very carefully studying um, how the process works and for admitting publicly that their interviews in many cases are not uh, very predictive. Most other companies, including large companies have not done that. Uh, so yes, I, th- I think the answer to your question is yes. Mm. Most uh, I, I, I've spoken to, to, to CTOs and hiring managers at a bunch of, of very large companies and there's just, very limited ability for an organization, even a large organization, to focus on multiple things, and the focus is always on on building the product, not on running that 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 sort of test. And the interesting thing is that even at Google, so Google has done pretty detailed analysis of 
the people who pass the interviews. So Google, for example, has famous, famously uh, observed that among people who pass their interviews, GPA does not correlate with a higher probability of being successful on the job. Some people take that result to mean that GPA is not predictive of whether someone will be a good programmer. What they're missing is that Google did not look at a random sample and say there's no correlation between GPA and programming ability. They looked at people who passed their interview, which mm-hmm. ended up strongly biasing those, those results. Right. Right. So th- th- this, this is the false negative problem. It's very easy to see the bad people who you hire. It's very difficult to see the good people who you reject. And that's, this ends up strongly biasing every process to be heavily, um, heavily biased uh, in favor of making false negatives, false to false negative error, because, because it's, it's invisible to the company. Particularly for a place like Google that has no problem with, with engineer flow. Yep. So are there any markers that we can actually rely on? Like if a, if a potential employee is a competitive programmer or has tons of personal projects, do any of these say anything consistent? What says the strongest signal is basically the max of every meaningful signal you can put together. This is the process that I think most companies should use. Essentially, evaluate candidates in a bunch of different ways and pass anyone who is good enough in any of those ways. Mm. So if someone, for example, is very bad at programming under pressure, but has you know, excellent side projects demonstrating that they are capable of producing these very complicated, very well put together projects, you should hire that person. If someone is fresh out of college and didn't do an internship, but you know, rocks the interview and you know, can talk, you know, clearly learned with it because it's very knowledgeable about the stuff they learned in college and, and you know, can apply it you know, more generally, you should hire that person. You know, what's fascinating about that is that that sounds like one of the Y Combinator tenets, which is, um, I think it's, uh, you guys screen, well, Y Combinator screens for strength, not lack of weakness. Yep. It sounds like the exact same thing. Have there been any other things where you see something in the hiring process and you're like, this looks suspiciously like how you should select company founders? Um, yeah, well, we, 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 we're very much trying to be Y Combinator for employees. Um, right. That there's a lot of stuff in the way companies are run, especially startups, that's not terribly um, employee friendly. An example of that is, is just compensation. Coming in, you know, once after somebody gets a job offer, the next step is negotiating salary. And the people in the company always have more information than than than, than the candidate. Right. So people who pass our process, um, we give them basically statistics about what companies, um, you know, in a class similar to the company they're going to offer from um, tend to pay, and give them tools that 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 help them uh, negotiate. Another thing we see often is equity um, offers to candidates without a detailed explanation of you know how, how stock options work, you know what what percentage of the company that the the, the the equity represents, and so we help our candidates um, get the information they need and interpret it. Okay, so we should talk about triple byte in a more focused fashion. How does the triple byte platform work? Uh, so ca- uh, candidates apply directly to us online, 
And the, the first step in our process is a, a multiple choice quiz. And we were using that in place of a resume uh, screen. So people apply to us and we don't know where they've worked in the past or what their current job is, where they went to school. We try to look only at um, how well they do um, answering questions, which involve, they're not multiple choice trivia questions. They're looking at a block of code and then answering questions about that code. So sort of measuring how well they understand uh, that block of code. And we, we score that by um, looking at, so, so, so before we put this in place, we had 300 people all go through and do the quiz. And we interviewed all of them. And then we went back and said, okay, what pattern of answers on this quiz is most predictive of who's going to go on to do well in the interview? And we're, we're actually extremely excited about that. It allows us to surface candidates who look very bad on paper and are being rejected at the screening phase by every company that they apply to. Mm. And the next phase after, after the quiz is a 45-minute a technical interview with us. And then after that, the final phase is a two-and-a-half-hour technical interview with us. And in those interviews, they're not – they look a lot like standard job interviews. The big difference is that the problems are somewhat more practical and that we give every applicant the choice of a number of, of, of questions. So the idea is sort of, as, as we were mentioning earlier, trying to find strengths rather than weaknesses – and so we let people pick and say, okay, I'm going to solve the, you know, this practical front-end problem, or I'm going to solve a you know, back-end server you know, architecture problem, or I'm going to solve an algorithms problem. And so that anyone who's good in any of those areas can pick that and impress with their strength, rather than feeling like we're sort of grilling them and calling out their weaknesses. So what about from the standpoint of employers? How do, how do employers uh, interact with the TripleByte platform? Uh, we're less friendly to employers. Um, there, there's sort of unlimited demand for good programmers. And so the, the service we provide to, to, to companies is we, get, we, we give them a stream of candidates who are strong programmers and explicitly interested in, in their company. And something exciting that we've recently started to do, which is very useful for both uh, programmers and employers, is use the information uh, that, 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 we, that we wrote in our, we covered in our last blog post to better match candidates with companies. And so we, we pass anyone who's a good programmer in any, in, in any way, and then we route them to companies that value the, the skills that they have. So for example, a candidate comes to us, we talk about their interests, and let's say they're interested in education, right? And then we go out and we, and we, and we find the education companies in Y Combinator who value candidates who, for example, you know, are, are really good Python programmers, if this person did well in Python. And, and then, then we, we go ahead and make the intro. And this, this uh, increases the success rate, both for the, 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 the candidate and for the company. No one likes failing in their interview. Candidates don't like it, and companies don't like it. And so once you have found a successful marriage, do you handle salary negotiations? We, we do not. After, after our process, we sort of just hand the candidate over to the company, but they, we call them regularly and they ask us for advice. So, the, so the, the communication is between the candidate and the company, but we basically discuss the offer and give them information on 
where it falls in the you know a range of offers for someone at their experience level. How do you get paid? How does Triple Y get paid? Uh, we are paid by companies with the exact same model um, as a standard recruitment firm. So basically, they give us a percentage of the engineer's uh, first year salary. Okay, cool. So there, there are some other platforms that do similar work to Triple Byte. Um, for example, Hired.com. They're uh, a sponsor of the show. I wouldn't want you to have that sway your opinion of them. I mean, wh- what do you think of these other companies like like Hired, for example? What do they do right and what do they do wrong? Hired has, has done a lot right, obviously. Um, they, they're, they're very helpful to a lot of candidates and a lot of companies. The thing that we're trying to focus on that they don't focus on is both making the process easier and faster for candidates. So when people apply to us, they do the interview with us, and then they skip over all of the early steps um, among all the Watkin companies that they, that they apply to. And so basically, it's do the work, do, 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 do go through one screening process rather than you know, eight, if you're going to apply to eight companies. And the second thing we focus on is really the, the matching. So there's, there's all this randomness in what companies look for. And from the, from, from, if you're a candidate applying for a company, it's really hard to tell if, they, if, they, if, if they're going to want to hire you, right? Maybe you're just you know, a, an academic programmer and this company doesn't like academics. Um, and so we gather that data and just increase the, the pass rate for people to go through our process. So what are the big challenges that you're encountering as you're evolving Triple Byte? People are incredibly complicated. Programmers are incredibly complicated. Every, every, so what we're trying to do is sort of systematize our process and sort of take, take, as far as possible, remove the sort of the human gut call from it. Um, the, The gut call is the point where all sorts of sort of bad bias uh, seeks into hiring decisions. And so we, we have sort of a, a, a proceduralized scoring process that we use. And um, basically, people are incredibly complicated. So whatever set of rules we have, someone comes along who breaks them. And it's really, it's kind of, it can be frustrating when we're trying to build our process, but it's also kind of inspiring. Uh, just an example, we, we uh, a, uh, a couple weeks ago, we passed an, an excellent programmer who uh, did not know how many bits there were in a byte. <laughs> and and that would seem like a reasonable, just, I don't know, litmus test on, on being a good programmer. But th- this guy was experienced, extremely good, had a lot of great side projects, a really strong track record of, of you know, delivering software projects, and somehow didn't know how many bits were in a byte. Well, I, I don't think they teach that at a boot camp. He asked, this, guy was, this guy actually had a CS background. I think it had just been a long time since he had work to code at that level. That's fascinating. It, it is. It's, it's, um, do, do you have any other examples of, of like edge cases where, you know, you've had, you know, step X in the process and then somebody breaks step X and it, you know? Yeah, just every step. So people, the other thing, I've been surprised how little correlation there is between skill in one area and lack of skill in another. <laughs> so we see people all the time who are very good at one area and really bad at a bunch of others. And it's, it's actually, it's very, really rewarding to be able to find those people and, you know, recommend they apply to this company that values their skill and, you know, get them an off, awesome job with a high salary and, you know, get a great employee for the company. 
and and it sometimes these are people who you know are are let's say they're self-taught they had one job for for a year they were laid off you know they've been applying jobs for six months and failing and feeling really depressed about their lives and it's really rewarding to, to find those people and be able to take them to the spot where where their skills are, are in need so let's talk about the big vision here i think my impression from reading the triple byte manifesto and some of the other material is you see hiring the long the long-term vision of hiring is something like what AWS has become for server management because you know 10 years ago 15 years ago AWS as it is now would have been inconceivable we would have said there's no way there's this one size fits all thing that you build all your your compute stuff on. I guess you know there's certainly other platforms, but everybody could use AWS if they wanted to. Um, and similarly, right now people say, uh, "Oh, there's no straightforward way to do hiring." Um, could you talk about this analogy more and like how how do we build the AWS for hiring? Yeah. It's a, it's a really good uh, analogy. Um, so one point I like to mention is that, uh, so I think TripleByte was itself a, a Y Combinator company, and as was my previous company, SocialCam. Um, so I've, I've been through Y Combinator twice, and advice that the Y Combinator partners give to every founder when they're leaving the process is that recruiting is the number one priority of the company going forward, and that founders leaving YC should expect to spend anything from anywhere from 10% to 70% of their time recruiting new people rather than focusing on, on, on the core mission of the product, of, of, of the company. And that's just incredibly expensive. These are companies that have, have just raised, in many cases, relatively large amounts of money. And the fact that it makes sense for the founders to spend half their time trying to hire engineers rather than improving their product is, is a little bit crazy. And, so what, and then even when companies do that, hiring is really hard and they're not specialists in it and they don't have the, the data or the experience to, to do it very very well, very fairly. Um, so what we want to build is a way for companies to to pay people who are better at it, to pay people to run an interview process um, that matches in quality the process at, at the best companies, and that is you know fair toward people of all backgrounds, and that is bringing in candidates who look really bad in paper and come from come from bad schools or have no formal education at all, but are actually kick-ass programmers. How do you scale this? Because I, I look at Hired, for example, and Hired has a really high-touch process where they accept, you know, only the top 3% of, this is not a shill for Hired, by the way, right now, but, you know, whatever, like top 3% of candidates or something, and then they connect them uh, with companies through an intermediary of people that are interacting with them and then also interacting with the companies so it seems like this uh, concierge process can be a real bottleneck to scaling. It is. I think. I think we're right now. We're higher touch, right? We do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we do. We do four and a half hours of interviewing with every candidate, um, uh, and uh, I. It's important enough. It's a you know the the obviously software companies are important part of the of the economy. Um, hiring the right engineers is key to the success of, of most software companies. It's important enough that the money's there. So it's going to be, it is, it is fundamentally a labor intensive process. Mm -hmm. And as we, uh, 
as we go, we expect to be able to automate parts of that. An example of that is that we have now a, a automated um, screening process, which is both you know, much less work than having recruiters screen resumes, and also has shown to be you know, much more predictive of, of actual programming ability. And so as we go, we are going to be looking for more opportunities to automate parts of the process, but we're under no illusion that you know, this is, is not going to be a very labor-intensive uh, company. Can you teach non-engineers to interview candidates adequately? I think the answer is no. So this, this is what um, non-technical recruiters at many companies do the first, the first step in, in the, 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 the hiring process. So they look at resumes and they reject people who don't have a resume that looks like someone they, they want to hire. And I think this ends up harming a lot of people. I think it's the point actually where the most bias seeps in because you know the recruiter can't tell if the person's projects are actually impressive. All they can tell is, you know, did they go to a good school? Do they have you know legit looking credentials? Um, and so uh, I think that has failed. And I, I, the answer is I don't know. It's something yeah. we may experiment with, but uh, to be to be totally upfront, there is enough money to be made helping companies hire that the economic model of paying skill engineers to do interviews just just works how how do you even model how much money there is because you got to imagine there's just like money wasted in all kinds of places on this process and like even and, and then when when incentives are poorly aligned and you know someone crappy gets hired then it just costs the company innumerable amounts of money yep. How do you quantify that? I guess that that's maybe that's not even an important question. <laughs> the the, oh, the no, only no, question I think, is, I think I think it's actually it's a, I think it's a quite important question. I mean, the the first thing you look at is just lost time doing the interviews. So at many companies, engineers spend you know up to one day a week doing interviewing rather than focusing on 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 the, the you know the the job the the product they're 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 building. And maybe that's not one day like straight out interviews, but maybe it's you know a few interviews that day. And they're, they're being you know taken away from from you know context switching costs. They're being taken away from the task they're on, and they have to think about you know how do they really have to participate in a meeting afterward. Um, that's very much a non-trivial cost. Sure. Okay. So so the, back to this strength hiring for strength versus lack of weakness thing. One of the a problem I can see with this is like there are certain gaping weaknesses that can uh, overcome any amount of strength that a potential engineer has. Like if uh, a potential engineer just smells horrible, then it doesn't <laughs> matter how good he is at JavaScript, right? How, so how do you factor that into the process? Well, um, I think this is a great thing about the position we're in as a recruiting company, which is that we don't really have to. So, I mean, this is an extreme example, but there are probably companies who will hire people who don't care about personal hygiene. There are probably companies who's, who are so focused on hardcore programming skill that they'll be happy hiring someone who's such a hardcore programming geek that you know, they, they don't shower every day. Yeah. Now, if that person applies to nine out of 10 companies, they're going to fail because they smell bad. Um, 
but we can pass them and then sell, tell them, hey, you should go apply to this company. And really, I mean, this, okay, this, this is the kind of a funny point to bring this up. But a very interesting pattern that we've seen is that the, the preferences of individual companies are often influenced by the backgrounds of the, the founders or the first few employees. So if a company hires, you know, if, if a company's founder or someone they hire very early on has a certain trait, they end up being biased in favor of that trait as they move forward. Uh, so in, in, the, in the smelling bad example, <laughs> find the company where the founders have poor hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, maybe dumpsters.com is hiring. <laughs> so I, I really like in the triple byte manifesto, you say the hiring process should be treated like a software product, constantly iterated on using data and improved over time. And this is interesting. What data points are are you iterating on over time? Um, mostly how people succeed in interviews. So for example, the first thing we tested was our screening process. So we knew we wanted to not look at resumes. We wanted to do credential blind hiring. That was sort of the idea for the company. Uh, but we needed a way to evaluate if our screen, how our screen compared to, 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 to resume screens. And so what we did was have three people apply, do our, our screening step, our quiz. And then we interviewed all of them. And most of them were bad, and it was kind of mind-numbing task. But you know, we we marked the ones who were good, and then went back and said, "Okay, how can we make this 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 you know quiz most predictive of 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 success?" And now, more recently, we've run a similar process, looking not at a at a you know at a sorry, those, those were forty-five minute interviews. Recently, we've run the similar process, looking at our two and a half hour interviews. And then the the, the next step is to run that same process, looking at. Not at interviews at all, but looking at how people, how successful candidates are on the job at companies. And at that point, we'll be closing the loop in a way that almost no one does. So you're the, you're the chief data officer of TripleByte. What does that role involve? What are your responsibilities more formally? Well, we're, we're, we're six months old here. We're, we're <laughs> that title is in part bullshit. But um, <laughs> uh, I focus on testing and improving our interview. Uh, so I gather data on exactly how we evaluate each candidate, how they do, and then I go through and look for correlations with uh, uh, success at, at, at other companies. And what is a normal day like for you? Or like what, what is a set of data that you're looking at throughout the day and um, is there oh, any? Well, I spend. I mean, I spend. I spend most of my time doing interviews. Okay. Every here, here does. So I, oh, I spend. Oh, okay. I spend uh, three to four days a week just wall to wall technical interviews. Wow. Interesting. And then the other, we sometimes work six days a week. So the other, the other two to three days a week, um, I sort of brainstorm new new questions. Um, put, put them into rotation to test how they do, and evaluate how effective the questions we're currently using are. So uh, maybe this isn't something you have great insight into because it sounds like you're hiring for things that are more or well, you're scrutinizing things that are more broad than this. But um, doing reporting through the show, I'm always trying to figure out, get a bead exactly for what uh, what the engineering organizations are looking for these days. And like um, the narrative, certainly the narrative you will get if you read 
Hacker News or if you read a lot of stuff, um, <clears throat> and I would I would at least expect uh, uh, the Y Combinator companies that you're hiring for to be reflective of this is that full stack JavaScript is what people are looking for. So I'm curious if that is the reality or if the reality is like something totally different. The reality we see is more demand for specialists, interestingly. Specialists in any area seem to be having an easier time getting jobs than than um, okay, okay, than, 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 than total generalists. So for example, someone who is just a full stack, back end, a little bit of front end a developer, there's still if they're a good developer, there's strong demand for them. But that there's we get asked for those profiles less than we do for just about any other specific Role. So that for example, is fascinating. So, 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 oh, sorry. Go ahead. If you're, if you're a, you know, a, a specialist in front end JavaScript, there are more companies coming out saying we want, we like, we we need front end specialists. Or if you're an Android developer, um, or if you're a, you know, someone who specializes in video encoding. So, or or like you know, top Go engineer. So basically, you you don't want to be a generalist in this game. Uh, okay. This 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 is getting into into shades of meaning. Um, most companies want people with a broad range of skills, but they also have specific needs. And if you can sort of define yourself as meeting some of those needs, it's a way to lift yourself out of the, the pile of other applicants they're seeing. Most applicants, by far the most common profile, is just generalist backend, a little bit of front-end web uh, engineer. That, that's most of who companies see. So if you can define, if you, if, you, if you can be careful, if you can be sure to sort of to sort of define yourself and say, you know, I have a broad experience, but I'm particularly, I'm, I'm very good at you know, mobile development, and mm. I'm very good at you know, Go, and I'm very good at you know this other thing. That will lift you out of the out of the the, the pile of other candidates. Got it. So right now, TripleByte is focused exclusively on Y Combinator companies, but. Presumably, there will be expansion in the future. Can you talk more about the go-to-market strategy? Sure. Um, we focus much less on companies than we do on candidates. Mm. There's a sort of unlimited demand for, for skilled engineers. And so we have been lucky to not have to really focus on going out and you know convincing companies to work with us. You know, a, a, a most... Most of the company companies just came to us and we launched and said, hey, we want to hire three of you guys. And so we've had the luxury to sort of ignore that side of it and focus on focusing on providing what candidates want and focus on getting better at, at doing the evaluation. Um, as we grow, we will almost certainly move uh, outside of Y Combinator. Uh, to be <laughs> totally honest, it's not something I've I've spec out in detail at this point. Sure. I, I, this is one of these things where I guess if you get the first part right, the next part's you can go wherever you want to go. Yeah. You want to um, be so good that people are begging your door, you know, <laughs> right. to be let in. <laughs> right. So do you have, like right now, with just the team uh, that Triple Byte consists of, do you have the volume of people needed to to uh, to interview all the candidates that are applying? Uh, right now, we are limited by by our team size. Um, we, until fairly recently, we've been we thought it was better to uh, focus on the process and less on scaling the team because as the team gets bigger, it's harder to make sure that you know it's harder to get a 
Okay, basically, our, our attention is going to be is going to be more on trying to you know maintain consistency across you know the different interviewers and not as much on exactly what's actually being asked and how how, how predictive is it. Mm. Um, we have recently started out scaling the interviewing team. Um, right now, we have three full time interviewers, um, and that number will probably be going up. If you could give advice to either large companies like a Microsoft or an Amazon, or even just Y Combinator companies that are doing their own recruiting, how would you advise them to change their processes? The number one thing small companies can do is ask the same questions to every candidate. Um, a surprisingly small number of companies do this. I think the reason is just that engineers don't like it. People doing interviewing kind of want to feel like they have some say over, over what's happening. But if you ask the exact same question to every candidate, it just <laughs> by default provides a consistent process. And so even if that question is maybe an unfair or a bad question, at least you're evaluating everyone in the same way. And you can over time say, okay, these questions, the way we're at, the way, you know, our interview is, is, is bad. It's missing people who are good in this way. So we're going to tweak the questions and move sort of in a better direction. If every candidate is being asked different questions, you have as high a probability of asking them bad questions and no ability to really know what it is you're asking or in what way it might be broken. What about for candidates themselves who are applying to these giant companies that, or even applying to Y Combinator companies directly? What's the, the way that candidates can hack this system? The biggest thing candidates can do to hack the system is to um, express interest in the company and what it does. It's funny because this, this is sort of like, I don't know, job fair 101 advice. <laughs> um, they tell you to carefully research the company, but it is surprising, you know, both actually by and previously at, at Justin Social Cam, how few candidates seem to really take that to heart. And so just spending half an hour researching the company, um, creating an account, coming up with a list of, of, like, of questions and technical suggestions, um, <laughs> puts you above 80% of other applicants. So, um, and, and, and then second thing is just practice. Um, this is especially true for uh, less experienced uh, engineers, people who are maybe just you know, one or two years out of school. Um, they're very often under a lot of stress in the interview, and that ends up negatively impacting everything. Um, you know, you know, this, this, is, this is just a, it's sort of fundamentally an adversarial situation. And, um, I highly recommend that candidates practice, practice with friends, asking interview questions under sort of a time limit and sort of ask the worst ones possible, work in front of a whiteboard, put together the worst possible interview and sort of repeat that enough times that you you're sort of, your brain doesn't shut down. Triple Byte is an interesting company in that it's, it seems like you aren't really going for having a technological advantage at this point it's it's more of an informational advantage would you say that's accurate or are there are, are there types of technologies that you're already thinking about building that will give you uh, a, a a unique platform to to manage all this information in these and these different candidates well we've we've built a surprising amount of of internal technology oh, okay um, we have we have our own you know ats we have a you know google hangouts uh plug that integrates our our, our, our scoring system 
Um, and in order to do the type of analysis we want to do, we had to build a lot of tools to, to track the, the, the process very carefully. Um, but you're totally right. We're trying, to, we're trying to innovate on the process of evaluating and hiring engineers, not sort of build any specific tech product. Do you plan to go after the hiring market more broadly? Or maybe, maybe this is a, a question that another thing you have not thought about um, much just because you were trying to get this part right. But um, I mean, do, do you want to go after other verticals? In some world domination scenario. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like I have a fair amount of knowledge on, 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 on programming and how to hire engineers. And I don't have, you know, I don't know anything about how to hire teachers or how to hire, you know, salespeople. Right, like um, lawyers. Like, yeah. I have no idea how these interview processes yeah. <laughs> work. I, I'm assuming they're just as broken. They've got to I've, be, I've right? spoken to some friends about, for example, teaching the, the way the way teachers are, are interviewed. And it actually sounds substantially more broken than interviews. <laughs> oh, like because no one can hear? even define the skill they're looking for <laughs> in a way that, you know. Um, so I would, I, someone should absolutely start a, tech, you know, a, a sort of data-driven hiring platform for teachers and, you know, Two years from now, after we've you know finished innovating on technical hiring, if no one has, maybe we can hire some expert teachers and, and have at it. Um, but that that's pretty far off. Okay, just out of curiosity, how? I mean, what did your friend say about teachers, teacher hiring? Oh, just it, it, it's often a panel interview with very general questions, right? So the teachers come in, <laughs> they sit in front of a panel, they get asked about their life and motivations, and it's not. At least in programming interviews, you can ask like a tech question with a defined answer, and the person comes up with a solution or they don't. In teaching, it's just terribly, terribly fuzzy. Mm. That's interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the the broad scope of how work is changing, particularly for engineers. There are these freelance platforms like Upwork and Gigster that, um, you know, they're increasing in the, the volume that they're seeing what do you think is the future of this, and 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 how does it affect the the job landscape of engineers as a whole? Uh, Gigster was in our our, our Y Combinator batch, and I think they're doing um, extremely well. Um, it's not something I know a lot about, um, you know, from 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 what I can tell. Um, there's a lot of demand for for sort of you know part time freelance work. Um, as an option, I think that that's great. Allowing more people to, to, to work, you know, when they want and earn a good living is, is excellent. Um, as the founder of a company, I would not want to work with freelance um, engineers. Just so much of the value you get out of a out of an employee comes from being in the same room, um, you know, day in day out, talking, discussing, thinking of problems, coming up with you know, creative insights. Um, I don't see outsourcing the, the sort of core tech team in a technical company in a technology company um, as a very viable uh, path. Mm. How, how did Y Combinator play a part in the construction of Triple Byte? Or uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's kind of the source of half of your deal flow, but. Um, just in t- in terms of the the actual Y Combinator batch process, I uh, it, it's a very useful environment. Uh, it's it, it's very it's very motivational. You're there with you know hundred other companies. Um, everyone's working really hard, and you're sort of meeting you know week after week. 
and talking with your with your, your batchmates about the progress that you're making. Um, so that's that's a very motivational environment, and it encourages everyone to sort of dig in and you know, work really hard at an important uh, you know part of the company's life. Um, that was useful. With Triple Byte specifically, though, um, with us, it is useful because the biggest problem recruiting companies face is trust. There are tons of contingency recruiters are basically playing a numbers game in a way that involves semi-lying to, to both sides, right? So a, a game that recruiters often play is to email candidates sort of semi-representing a company, get candidates excited, and then email a company and, and, and say, hey, I have candidates. Or they, they bring in candidates who, you know, and sort of blast out emails to every company they can think of trying to get company interest. And sort of the, these sort of shady tactics have resulted in a situation where <laughs> lots of programs, lots of companies are just very distrustful of recruiters. Mm. And so it was very useful to, uh, for us to enter the game with a group of companies who trusted us to, to, to be operating in good faith. What was the most counterintuitive thing that you learned while you were at Y Combinator for this batch? I think the most counterintuitive thing that we learned is that uh, early on in this, this process, we evaluated a sort of a multiple choice structured programming test against having candidates um, solve short programming problems and submitting their code and then judging the code manually. Hmm. And the, the multiple choice coding quiz was uh, more predictive of success than uh, evaluation of our freeform coding was. How, how do you even benchmark whether you're doing it right, though? That's a, that's a totally reasonable uh, question. At that point, we were looking at success in 45-minute technical interviews. And so how well someone did on a, on a uh, multiple-choice quiz about programming was more predictive of going on to pass a 45-minute interview where they're asked to, to implement an actual program um, than looking at how they at programming they did in their own time. Mm. Um, have you looked at these these program these uh, interview processes where they like they'll spend an entire day with a candidate or they'll they'll give a candidate like a uh, like a problem at the beginning of the day and like and remotely like as a remote interview and then check in with the candidate throughout the day? How, how do these things work? These full day immersive experiences. So we actually offer a version of that. We allow people to go through a process with a take-home project. So this, we put this in place particularly to help with candidates who had sort of debilitating interview anxiety. Um, so we saw some candidates who had very good... How common is that? It's, off the top of my head, 5% of applicants. No way. Um, it's, it's more common among people who are relatively fresh out of school than it is among experienced uh, engineers. Yeah, we, we sometimes we see people sometimes like melt down. People start to shake and <laughs> lose the ability to speak and basically hang up. Yeah, it's well because it's terrible. It's a terrible yeah. experience. I mean, I I think I, I yeah I I don't think I fall into that five percent. But like yeah, I always used to feel like these interviews, the like the whiteboard interviews in particular, were made to engender superiority yep. in the interviewer rather than actually yep. interviewing the candidate. Absolutely, it's like it, it can turn into a hazing. Yes, it's a hazing it's so process. When you're the interviewer, it's so easy to feel like you're smarter than the applicant. Yeah. And you kind of forget that you were giving the answers in advance. 
<laughs> this is a little bit like the like the Stanford Prison Experiment. Anyway, um, so we offer people the ability to to do a larger project um, on their own time and then submit that afterward. And the the answer is that I think it is actually more accurate. I think seeing if someone can complete a large project on their own time is better predictive of them being a good employee than how well they perform in a high-stress interview. The problem with it is that many programmers, including many of the best programmers, will not do it pretty reasonably. So it's it's a much larger time commitment. Mm -hmm. And so many programmers who are maybe working full-time currently while looking for a new job so they don't have the time to spend an entire day completing a large project for, for one company. But that's almost like a, a, a fault of the programmer because that's like taking the lottery outlook that, uh, you know, I'm just rolling the dice on each of these interviews. Instead of saying, I want to work for this specific company, I'm going to bust my ass for an entire day to work there. It is. It is. But companies have to take it into, into, into consideration, right? No one, no one passes all their interviews. Even the best people fail interviews. So no one can get too attached to working at any one company. And so the, the sort of everyone knows they have, they have to, to a certain extent, spread out their options. And companies have observed that if they, if they force everyone to go through a sort of some sort of you know, like extensive take-home project or a work trial period, they will, they'll get a better reading on the programmers they do evaluate, but they'll miss out on the top, 10, top percentage of programmers who won't have the time to do that. That's great. Well, Amin, this has been a super interesting conversation. Um, I will be following Triple Byte closely, and I, I really appreciate you coming on Software Engineering Daily. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jeff. This has been uh, very interesting. <laughs>